Hey, thank you. Thank you. If you're feeling refreshed, I'm about to wear you out with God's Word. We are going to tackle some uh, pretty uh, interesting passages, but I just want to welcome you here this morning, both online and in person. I'm Mark Batten. I'm one of the pastors here at Hope Rock Church, and uh, forgive me if my left arm goes limp during the preaching, because us men, if you were at the retreat this weekend, stand up, you guys, stand up. Okay. This represents about half of the men that were there. I want them to stand up because I want you who know these guys and you weren't there to say, hey, how did God, how did God change my life this weekend? I want you to go and find that guy and ask him that question. And you guys tell him what happened. It was amazing. <clears throat> but my arm hurts because I shot a shotgun for the first time after 40 years. I was involved in a hunting accident as a young kid, and I never picked up a gun uh, since then. And I was... Uh, encouraged to shoot. <laughs> but they made sure I pointed the gun away from everybody. Uh, they were very uh, aware of my, uh, my shortcomings as a, as, a, as a rifleman, and they helped me overcome my fear, and I shot my first clay pigeon ever. Yes. <clears throat> yes. Uh, I won't tell you how many dozens of rounds of shells it took to get that one pigeon, but, but I did it. Uh, I love our church for a number of reasons. You know, I, for you guys here and you men, I, you guys encourage me. But we are a sending church. Our lead pastor, Marco, is in uh, South Africa bringing the gospel with Cat and his family. A little vacation involved there, too. Uh, Charlie and uh, Tyler Self, they're in Roatan, Honduras, preaching the gospel and leading worship. And John Walters, uh, who's a member of our church, is actually preaching in a little church out in Johnson City, bringing the gospel. So we're, we're going from the, the region to the nations today, and uh, I'm privileged to be up here this morning bringing you all the Word of God. So uh, we're going to continue our series, our Easter week series uh, today. Uh, so after riding into Jerusalem on a lowly donkey rather than a majestic stallion worthy of a king... And after confronting the religious robbers of the temple courts who were profiting off of the people, seeking forgiveness through animal sacrifice, Jesus went on to denounce the religious hypocrites for telling the destruction of the temple, the culminating great tribulation, and his return in power and glory. Jesus departed the temple and traveled to the Mount of Olives. If you don't know where we're at, we're in chapter 25 of Matthew. <clears throat> And this morning, we will examine, I'm sorry, chapter 26. You know, it was, I was given three chapters, by the way. This is a little backstory. Mark, we're going to give you chapters 24, 25, I'm sorry, 24. I am so messed up this morning. <clears throat> Can we go back to the mountaintop and uh, worship Jesus in the middle of the night? We're in chapter 25 of Matthew. I was given 22, 23, 23, 24, 25. I'm so, good. I'm so glad that we can go to the 11 o'clock service to put online and uh, delete this one. But uh, anyway, uh, chapter 25 is where we're at today. And this morning, we're going to take a look at that chapter where Jesus explains to his disciples what the kingdom of heaven will be like, its implication for them and for us today. And so I'm going to open us up with prayer before we take a look at this. Uh, Heavenly Father, I just thank you for the privilege, the opportunity to preach your word. I pray that uh, 
the, only the good things that come out of my mouth will be received uh, by everyone here this morning. And I trust that no matter what I say regarding the Word of God, if it's in uh, truth and it's, in, it's, it's, it's rightly uh, preached, you're going to do something amazing with it because you promise that whatever word comes out uh, of, of our mouths proclaiming your word, the word of truth, they will not return void. It'll accomplish that which you had set it out to accomplish. So uh, pray that we would uh, take this quick journey in uh, Matthew and that our lives might be changed and challenged and possibly even uh, saved because of it. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus gives this, dis- this discourse. It's a fancy way of saying this teaching. Uh, and it's also called the Olivet Discourse. Makes me sound really pastoral and like, a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trained. Uh, just a, a fancy word for saying Jesus went to the garden uh, or the Mount of Olives and he did little teaching to the disciples. Uh, just days away, this is happening, from being betrayed by Judas at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, also known as the Passover. And this is leading to his crucifixion. And I know that this is probably Tuesday. I say I know. I'm thinking it's Tuesday. Jewish Times and calendars are little, little different than us, uh, you know, American version of that. But in uh, chapter 26, verse 1 and 2, it says this. When Jesus had finished saying all these things, this is what we're going to take a look at here in a minute. He told his disciples, you know that the Passover takes place after two days, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. So that's how I know it's probably about Tuesday of Holy Week. Uh, so the tone of the parables we're going to take a look at, there's three of them. I believe, are loving, not harsh, encouraging, not deflating, hopeful, not condemning, but there is a sense of urgency on Jesus' part because he knows that our time to believe is limited, that humankind is under spiritual darkness originating from Satan himself. He knows that our hearts are inclined to serving our own passions rather than living God. I want you to keep this verse, verses in mind as I progress through these three parables so that you can see the heart of Jesus behind what we're going to take a look at here. John 12, 46 through 47 says this, I have come as light into the world so that everyone, who believes in me would not remain in darkness. That's good news. That's the heart behind Jesus coming. What we're going to look at here, it's not condemning, as we'll see here in a second. If anyone hears my words and doesn't keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. This is the heart, the mission, the purpose behind Jesus. This is what he wants the disciples to know then and us to know now. He came to save. What Jesus is about to say in these parables, which are simple stories used to illustrate a moral or spiritual lesson, makes clear the imminent return of Christ. And I love Joe's uh, shirt. Stand up. Can Can we see your shirt? Look at this shirt. It says, I'm sorry to put you on the spot. Normal is not coming back. Jesus is. Amen. That was not planned either. So Jesus is making clear his imminent return. 
And he's also making clear how we should be conducting our affairs as believers and the way of salvation for the lost. So we have two camps here in this congregation and online. You're either a believer or you're lost. It's simple as that. There's no middle ground. And Jesus is making sure that we know where we might stand in that equation. He illustrates the reality of separation between good and evil, righteous and unrighteous, the separation that exists between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of hell. God between, between God and man, Jesus came to point out the chasm that exists and the bridge from which we need to be reconciled. And humanity, humanity can cross over from death into life by faith in his son. He knows that the only way to everlasting life is through him. So we have Jesus who took on flesh to go to the cross to die for you. And what we're about to take a look at is in that context. First uh, parable we're going to take a look at is the parable of the ten virgins. Now, I almost didn't <laughs> preach this message because I'm thinking, boy, that's weird. You know, virgins. I mean, how many cults have uh, been birthed with this idea that heaven's going to be about virgins? We all get ten virgins, right? Uh, that's so far from the truth. That's, that, that, that's not, just check that out of your mind. But I want to share with you this idea of virgins. It's the same Greek word that was used for Mary. She's a young woman. She's unmarried. She is a virgin. And we're going to look at some bridesmaids here who are also young women. They are virgins. They are unmarried. So let's take a look at verse 1 of chapter 25. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the groom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. When the foolish took their lamps, they didn't take oil with them. Now, these lamps are they vary in size. They're, let's just picture maybe a large vessel that you, you hold uh, with a handle possibly, and it's hollowed out on the inside, and you, you fill that up with oil, and you take a rag that maybe has been dipped in oil, and you also stuck, stuff it in the end of that lamp. So the idea is that's your source of light, this oil, and these virgins brought their lamps with them. And let's just call them bridesmaids. I'm going to try my best to call them bridesmaids. That's what they are. These are bridesmaids. How many of you have ever been a bridesmaid? Yeah? Okay. You probably didn't take a lamp, but you were there to tend to the bride, to take care of her needs, to make sure that she didn't miss any deadlines. Uh, you were there to make sure that uh, the, the groomsmen behaved. There's lots of reasons we put the women in charge, right? So verse, 20, verse 5 goes on to say that when the groom was delayed, they all became drowsy and fell asleep. So why was the groom delayed? Second thoughts, maybe? Get scared? No. So Jewish marriage customs looked like this. You would be engaged to a woman. And... I'm not sure what that engagement process looks like. I don't know if the, the families are involved or it's a betrothal or, you know, uh, Harry met Sally and all of a sudden they, they want to get married. But they enter into a, an engagement period. The bride and the groom are then sent home for an extended period of time. It could be weeks. It could be months. Who knows? 
Not sure why that was the custom. Maybe they wanted to take a few minutes to think about the, uh, <laughs> the long-term uh, con- uh, commitment to being married. Maybe it was to test each other's faithfulness in that time of, of, of separation. But they were apart. And what happens is one day the groom and his groomsmen decide that today's the day. Today's the day I'm going to show up unannounced at the home of the bride, who's probably with her parents at this time. And so here comes the, the groom and the groomsmen, and they knock on the door of the bride-to-be. And they say, today's the day. And they hold the wedding ceremony at the home of the bride's parents. After that wedding, they then venture off back to the groom's parents' house where they have a wedding celebration. So you following me here? Engagement, a gap, a time of separation, a surprise announcement. They get married and off to the party they go. Verse 26 says this, In the middle of the night, there was a shout. Here's the groom. Come out, and and they came out to meet him. These are the bridesmaids. Then all the virgins got up and trimmed their lamps. Just prepared them. You know, cut the uh, burnt end off of the wick and uh, filled up their lamps uh, so that they can make that long uh, procession back to the groom's parents' house for the party, for the wedding feast. The foolish ones said to the wise ones, give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. The wise ones answered, no, there won't be enough for us and for you. Go instead to those who sell oil and buy some for yourself. When they had gone to buy some, the groom arrived, and those who were ready went in with him to to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the rest of the virgins also came and said, Master, Master, open up for us. He replied, Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, be alert. You don't know either the day or the hour. Lots of interesting things here, but... Jesus is telling a parable. It's a simple story for us today and for the disciples to use as their uh, fuel for their mission to go spread the good news that Jesus came for them. So I want to just share the three points. There might be more that you can extract from this passage, but let me share the three that stood out to me. Number one, oil, the Holy Spirit, is required to gain access to the great banquet. You see, the three or the five unwise bridesmaids did not have the oil necessary for the journey. They didn't have the power to generate light. There was nothing that they had that would get them from the the arrival of the groom to the wedding party. And they had to leave, and they were told to go buy it directly from the source. Get it from directly from the source. Now, the reason that I suggest that this is the oil is the Holy Spirit, is that is what we see in Scripture. Uh, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light from my path. In order to understand God's word, you have to have the Holy Spirit living in you to enlighten and, and give you understanding of God's word. Oil here is the Holy Spirit. You cannot borrow somebody else's faith. You cannot inherit the Holy Spirit through your parents or your best friend. You can't even inherit it from being a member or an attender of Hope Rock Church or any church. 
You have to go straight to the source. And the source of this Holy Spirit is none other than Jesus Christ himself, who said, when I leave, I will usher in a, the Holy Spirit. He's going to come, and he's going uh, to take up residence in the believer's hearts. The foolish virgins, the foolish bridesmaids, thought that they could attend the wedding party, the great banquet feast of believers, but they did not have what was required to get in. The lamp was shiny. It looked like it was uh, proper equipment, if you will. I mean, this is proper equipment. How many, you know, go like this to church, and man, I got the equipment. But without the power of the Holy Spirit, the equipment is dead. And that's what happened to these foolish bridesmaids. Number two, which I think I may have already, so I get so excited. Look, at, I mean, I'm already telling you, did, did, did the guys in the back already know I was on point two without saying it? You did? Thank you. I wouldn't have known that because I wasn't looking, but that's how excited I am. Look at this. The oil cannot be borrowed from anyone else. It must be obtained directly from the source. And three, from this passage, we see the mandate or the, uh, the, the encouragement to stay alert. You have no idea when Jesus will arrive. Just as the bride... And the bridesmaids had no idea when the groom was coming or the bridegroom, neither do we, but we know he's coming. And there's going to be a wedding feast, unbelievable wedding feast. We had Cooper's barbecue at the men's retreat. Oh, we had barbecue for lunch, dinner, and breakfast. It was awesome. <laughs> Ribs, sausage, brisket, chicken. Oh, man, it was awesome. That will pale in comparison to the yes. wedding feast of the church. Now, something else that I just thought of this morning is we, the church is the bride, right? We're waiting for Jesus, the bridegroom, to come get us, right? But at the same time, we're also bridesmaids. Even us dudes are bridesmaids. Bridesmaids attend to the needs of the bride. As believers, we're supposed to attend to the needs of other believers at church, within the community of, of, of believers. Does that make sense? Just don't sit here waiting for the bridegroom to show up. Attend to the bride. Love the bride. Pray for the bride. Look for ways to, uh, to take care of the needs that the bride might need to, to have taken care of. And I can think of a few right now. We need people to sign up for children's ministry. <laughs> That's the way you can tend to the bride, right? Uh, there's all kinds of ministries. And uh, Ashley, if you'll raise your hand, she can help you figure out where on our website you can sign up to serve. So now we're going to take a look at the parable of the talents. And it uh, looks like I have a couple hours left, so we're, we're good. The parable of the talents starts off with chapter, or verse 15, verse 14, I'm sorry, of chapter 25. Um, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his, his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey immediately. Now, I always thought that a talent was like a little tiny wooden coin or something, you know, worth a nickel. And, you know, how am I going to turn a nickel into a dime? You know, why, why even waste that kind of time and effort on that? But, you know, as I dug into this passage, I was amazed to find out that a talent is way more than what I imagined it to be. Uh, it's, it's difficult to quantify what a talent is because it's dependent on the precious metal that was used to create a talent. Now, a talent 
is 75 pounds. That's the common weight. It could even be 100 pounds of precious metal. Silver and gold are the two common uh, uh, precious metals of the time. Can you imagine a 75-pound bag of gold that the master entrusted you with to go and and do something good for for him, to give him a return? 75 pounds. Uh, Silver was significantly less, but we're going to go with the the gold idea because it sounds a little more, uh, uh, you know, significant. But silver's not anything to uh, laugh at either. The approximate value of silver is $15,000 a pound. Gold, $1.2 million per pound. Altogether, in this parable, if we go with gold, nearly $10 million was possibly dispersed to these three servants. Now, in this room, you may be blessed to have received $1,250,000 in maybe salary last year. I know that wasn't me. Just to put this in perspective. For some of you, maybe your talent was spread out over the lifetime of your, uh, you know, your income, your lifetime income that you earned as a worker. This is what these workers are being faced with here, is how to manage or steward what their master had given them. But in one lump sum, one was given five talents, bags, five big bags of gold. To another one, he gave him two, two bags of gold, and to another one, just one talent. It was dependent on each one's ability. Now, I don't know how the master determined your ability to steward his money or not, or if you were going to be a good investor of his resources, but somehow the master knows what your abilities are, and he gave it accordingly. Now, to the one who got two bags of gold, that's nothing to, you know, I'll take two bags of gold, right? But somehow, if I was given two bags of gold by the master, because he would know my limitations or how that gold might really mess me up. I'm glad I'm not rich. I'm glad I'm not a lot of things because I would be uh, more into myself than I currently am. A little time of confession here. (laughs) And uh, I need more of Jesus and less of me. My wife will also tell you the same. Uh, Okay, (laughs) getting off track here. Uh, So verse 16 says, uh, verse uh, 16 goes on to say, the man who had received five talents, five bags of gold, went and put them to work, and he earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. So there was 100% return by those two guys for the master. But, got to get to the third guy here. But the man who had received one talent, went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, uh, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents, see? I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things, and I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man with two talents also approached. He said, master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. 
His master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The master's response was the same for the guy who doubled five bags of gold as it was for the guy who doubled two bags of gold. The master wanted ah, faithful, obedient, loving response to what he was asking his, 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 his people to do, his workers, his servants. And he rewarded one equally with a well-done, good and faithful servant. Uh, the man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. Wow. I mean, that guy has a completely different uh, understanding of the master, doesn't he? It seems that way anyway. This guy refused to do anything because he had a skewed view of who the master was. It seems like he didn't. He thought he was a crook. You're, 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 you're reaping money where you didn't invest. And you're sowing money where you have no business sowing money. This guy's got a, a significantly different view of the master, doesn't he? as evidenced by their behavior, by their response. His view of the master is starkly different than that of the other two. Uh, he's questioning his integrity, his legit legitimacy. He did not believe in the master, so he buried the money. The master replied to him, you evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. In other words, you got my, you, you got my money. The least you could do is maybe give it to somebody else who would handle it properly, whether it's a bank or an individual, uh, maybe invest it with uh, Edward Jones. <laughs> The idea here is the master wanted a return on his investment. And who knows what the master had to sacrifice in order to have that to give to his servants. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the 10 talents. So God took God. I'm getting ahead of myself. You already know the answers, don't you? I'm giving you the answer key. The master is taking from he who has one and giving it to somebody who has, which seems to be an abundance already. This other guy probably doesn't need 10 more bags of gold, but what that servant is doing with the master's money uh, is deserving of him to get another bag because the master knows he's going to be faithful with that which he has been given. For, the, for, two, for to everyone who has more, for to everyone, for to everyone who has, well, it's hard to say. I feel like I'm reading from the King James Version here, but I'm not. It's supposed to be easy to read. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
three points I extracted from this passage I want to share with you. There may be more. Number one, what you have, what I have, is not yours and it's not mine. Everything, your wealth, your health, your talents, and let's take the literal talents, your abilities, your gifting, your calling, everything that's good is God's. You cannot sit here and say that whatever you have is because of your hard work. What you have is because the master, the Lord Jesus, has entrusted you with what he has given you. That you would not bury it and keep it for yourself, use it in any other means other than to advance the kingdom of God and to bring honor and glory to the one who gave it to you. Number two, the other point I found through this, uh, this parable is how you view the master shapes your life today. Do you fear, trust, love, believe in the master? And this is the capital M master, God, the Lord Jesus. Are you a faithful stewardship of all that are you a faithful steward of all that he has given to you for his glory and the benefit of others? If so, you know how you know that you are uh, actually using what the Lord has given you for his glory? You're sharing in the master's joy. Now, I'm just thinking about Trey and Kelsey. They graciously lent us their ranch for the weekend, and it was a huge sacrifice. But I can tell you after talking to Trey, he felt the master's joy as he used what God had given him to help impact 21 men whose lives will never be the same again, including this guy here. We met the Lord in a powerful way, in a personal way. We shared corporately what God told us individually. We had a, a greater sense of who God is because we saw a little sliver of him in each and every heart, every man that was there. If you're not experiencing the joy that should come by serving the Lord through your gifts, your talents, your wealth, you're missing out. And you run the chance of being the, the servant who was sent someplace where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Because it's not the behavior that sends you to hell. It is what is driving and motivating your behavior. We love because Jesus first loved us. You love God because he first loved you. And we see that on the cross of Christ. The third thing I found through this passage that was interesting is how you view the master determines your future. Do you fear, trust, love, and believe in the master? If you do, he's going to put you in charge of many things. Not only today, but in heaven. We have, we have promises. We're, I, the reason I didn't preach on chapter 24 of Matthew is because it's very eschatological. Fancy word for dealing with end time stuff, the end of the earth, end of the world. We are promised in Revelation to be given uh, authority over people and other responsibilities in heaven. We're not going to be floating in a white cloud someday playing harps. There's going to be some work to do, but it's not going to be uh, laborious. It's going to be uh, very joyful. But as, as we are faithful today, 
it will determine how you will be rewarded in the future. The, the, the servant was told, well done, good and faithful servant. I want to hear that. Do you want to hear that when you get to heaven? And when I hear that, I want to be put in charge of other things that I can do to serve the master in heaven. So the three things, what you have is not yours. How you view the master shapes your life today. And how you view the master determines your future. These faithful servants were given more. Nothing was taken from them. Now, I'm not saying that God does not sometimes take things away from us. <clears throat> that does happen. <clears throat> Just look at Job. I, but this parable tells me that if I'm faithful in all that he has given me, whatever the return looks like, I will recognize it as coming from the hand of God. And I will give him all the praise and all the glory. We're going to take a look at this final parable. But I'm going to ask the, the band, the worship team, to make their way up front. This is a, I mean, it's difficult, but it's exciting for me to preach on sheeps and goats. Sheeps and goats. There's, there's two kinds of people in the world. You're either a sheep or you're a goat. Um, now, I found this to be interesting. Sheeps love the flock. Sheeps love to be around their kind. The sheep love their master, their shepherd. A sheep will go wherever the shepherd, the great shepherd leads them. Sheep are gentle, loving, white as snow. But goats... Independent, rebellious. I went to Sweetberry Farms uh, a few years ago. Great place to go take your kids. And there's these crazy goats just climbing up in the trees. <laughs> you ever seen them? They're crazy. They're nuts. They're independent. They don't listen to instructions. I believe that this third and final parable that Jesus is telling the disciples in the in the and the, uh, the, the Mount of Olives is just this. If you are a sheep, if you are a follower of the great shepherd, you're going to love the other sheep of the flock. You're going to love the shepherd. You're going to love to follow the instructions of the shepherd. You're going to love to earn his approval. You're going to love making the, the shepherd happy. You're a sheep. Because you're a sheep. You act like that because that's who you are. A sheep is a sheep because it's a sheep. And in today's world, it might not, might not be politically correct. <laughs> but <laughs> that sheep is a sheep because it's a sheep. A goat is a goat because it is a goat. It acts like a goat because it's a goat. It's a sheep because it's a sheep. As Christ followers, you're, you're a Christian not because of your behavior. You don't love the church and love people and want to obey God because, you, you know, because your behavior lines up with that. It's your heart that has produced this behavior. And if you're a goat, rebellious, independent, bucking the system, you don't want to follow anybody's lead. 
You're your own thing. You're your own animal. You're going to go where you want to go, do what you want to do with whatever, with whoever you want to do it with. You're a goat. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. This is Jesus. He's coming back. We don't know when, but he's coming back sooner rather than later, I believe. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them one from another, just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. And I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you took care of me. I was in prison, and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When you did, when, you, when, did, when, did, when did we see a, you a stranger? And take you in, or without clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of these, one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Let me paraphrase that. We love people, especially the body of believers because they are sons and daughters of the Most High. They are brothers and sisters of Christ. Jesus isn't here, but he's coming back. You all represent Jesus, and we need to love each other as if you are Jesus. And this is what Jesus is saying here. You took care of my needs through the people that I've left behind, or those I've saved is probably the better way to phrase that. Then he will say to those on the left, these are the goats, depart from me, you who are cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick in prison. You didn't take care of me. Because like the, the, the servant who was given one bag of gold, who spent it on himself, used it in means other than to glorify God or to take care of felt needs that the body of Christ was experiencing. This is the response that he got. Then, he, then they too will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he, Jesus, will answer them, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for one of these or the least of these, you did not do for me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There's a lot here in chapter 25, but there's two kinds of people. You're a, a bridesmaid who's ready and equipped. You're ready because you're expecting the groom, Jesus, to show up any day. And you have oil in your lamp. You don't have the tools, but you have the power behind the tools. You don't look like a Christian. You are a Christian because of the Holy Spirit living in you. And you're using what God's given you for his glory. You're giving him all praise. And you can start playing. I'm almost done.
famous last words from a preacher. I'm almost done. We have servants in this room that uh, know what the Father's given him or her. And you're using it for the glory of the Lord. And maybe it's increasing. But the increase isn't always in coin. It could be in peace, joy, happiness, understanding, patience, kindness, perseverance. There's so many. The riches of heaven are great. I can't even exhaust it up here. And in this room, there's goats and sheeps. Maybe you've never placed your trust in, in Jesus. You've never received that free gift of salvation. He didn't come to condemn you or to judge you. You judge yourself by your belief or your disbelief. Jesus is saying, come, all who are thirsty. I have water that you'll, if you take it, you'll never thirst again. I offer, you, I offer you salvation, forgiveness of sins, peace, assurance. I offer you the kingdom of heaven which I might suggest is not off in the future, but it's also here today. John the Baptist said, Behold, as he's in the river Jordan, the kingdom of God is upon us. Those who are in the kingdom of God are the family of believers. And we represent the king and the kingdom here on earth. But you can experience the kingdom of God today and be assured that you will be in the presence of Almighty God for eternity. The alternative is gnashing and weeping, gnashing of teeth and weeping, outer darkness, being called a, a, an evil person and sent away into the darkness. Again, Jesus came to save you and me. And so if you're here this morning questioning where you might be in your faith journey, just close your eyes and, and repeat after me in your heart, in your mind, out loud if you choose to. Jesus, I know I fall way short of the glory of God. I know I have sinned. I know that I will sin. I know there's nothing good in me Even what's good in me, you, God, consider it to be rubbish compared to your unsurpassed glory. So create in me, Jesus, a clean heart. I receive what you did on the cross. I thank you. You did not come to judge me and, and point your finger at me and tell me how bad I was or how bad I will be. But you came to offer me eternal life. And I receive that today. By faith, I receive that new life in you. I receive it. And from, from today on, I will walk as a child of the Most High. I call you brother. I am your brother now. I am your sister now, Jesus, by faith. And I promise to go and, and be a good servant. I will give what you've given me time, talent, treasure, and I will invest it in building the kingdom for making a difference in the lives of, of your brothers and sisters that I will now call my brothers and sisters in the faith. And I thank you that I am no longer a goat doing my own thing, going my own way, being rebellious, 
unfaithful. I am now a sheep. I am a sheep in the flock of Jesus Christ, the great shepherd. I willingly go where he leads me. I will love on the other sheep of the family. I thank you for this new life, this new perspective. For those of you who know you're you're saved, you know you've been a faithful servant in the past, and you know you're not a goat, but somehow you've gotten off track with your, your resources, your time, your talent, your treasure, your wealth. Confess that to the Lord and ask him to uh, give you another shot at investing in the kingdom of the, of the Lord. That you too might receive the joy of the master. And here, good job. Good and faithful servant. If you've been rebellious, doing your own thing, unwilling to follow the commands and the lead of our great shepherd, confess that right now and ask him to give you a heart that longs to be in community amongst tens of thousands if not millions of sheep worldwide and you know the shepherd knows what's best for you and you'll gladly follow him loving the other sheep along the way so I pray this morning that you would realize this this passion week, this holy week that Jesus came that you might experience joy, abundant joy a life that the world can never come through on. Can never promise and make good on it. He wants you to enjoy his kingdom now and forever.